You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kula Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kula Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to Tuesday Breakfast. Today is the 17th of May and it's just 7am. Um... And it's very cold. Mm. You are joined in the studio today here with me, Carnegie, and Fung, and Genevieve. How are you both? Good morning. Good, good morning. morning. How's things? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Um, when I was driving here this morning, it was so cold. You know how your car steams up? Yes. And, like, the outside, there's, like, steam. I thought it was, like, breaking down. I, I know. Like, oh, my God, there's a cloud of smoke, <laughs> like, trailing my car, but... All the cars are just like erupted and steamed. It's freezing. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I felt like this morning was the first time. I mean, first time I've been outside at like 6 a.m., but mm. that first time where the cold really just like gets to your skin, mm. like doesn't matter how many layers you're wearing, mm. really gets to you. Um, yeah, I'm very reluctant to like leave my room just because the rest of the house is so ex- like tall ceilings, yeah. classic old falling down terrace. Mm. It's just freezing anywhere else. So I feel like all of my housemates are just staying in there. All hibernating. And get home. It's the only place that you can like be warm. Yeah. I've just created a trail of heaters from where I sleep to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And as I walk, I just turn them on. And then oh, nice. as I leave, I turn them off. I can't do it. It's too cold. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we've got a big show coming up today. Um, what have we got to start off with? Sure. Well, we're going to replay um, a discussion that aired on Raising Our Voices. Um, Susan Arthur and Heather Smith speaking about Positive Powerful Parents, which is a support group set up by parents with intellectual disabilities to keep their children. So they talk about um, who they are. Uh, they also mention, you know, some of the challenges they had during COVID. Um, so that's coming up first at around quarter past seven. Then after that, at half past, we're going to replay an interview that Shahrazad had with um, Mikhail yesterday on Women on the Line, who uh, is a researcher doing their honours in anthropology um, and they discuss the origins of the freedom movement and how it's progressed from there um, and what it looks like sort of leading into the federal election. Um, and then we're going to hear a conversation I had with Dr. Nira Kandasamy uh, about the ongoing political and economic crisis in Sri Lanka, which has gotten exponentially worse this last week following the resignation of Prime Minister Mahinda Rajapaksa. Uh, and also it's uh, Tamil Genocide Day on May 18th, which there was a protest for on Sunday um, in the city, uh, but they will be commemorating the day on May 18th as well. 
Um, and after that, we'll, I'll be speaking with Sherasi Mukherjee, who is a mechanical engineer, um, and she has recently started a website f- called Steminism for Women in STEM, um, and she'll be talking to us about the issues that women face in STEM and how that affects actual policy and medical practice. And just rounding out the show, I'm going to be speaking to Emma Shannon, who is a representative from Sunbury and Cobor Community Health, and they're running a series of events for Ida Hobbit, which is today, um, in Sunbury, which is a big deal because uh, they have never had a flag raising in Sunbury before, and they're going to have a few exhibitions, so uh, Emma will be on the show to discuss all the details with that. Amazing. Cool, we'll be right back with news headlines after this. Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean to bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao and cacao mass in bulk. A zero-waste manufacturing space, Living Coco ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast. Uh, yes, uh, starting off, we're going to be speaking about this a little bit later as well, but uh, the Sri Lankan state has descended into full-blown political and economic crisis uh, as more people contend with starvation, death and severe disruptions. Uh, and this is following the resignation of uh, Prime Minister Mahinda Rajapaksa last week, who stepped down after protests over the island nation worsened. Uh, following economic crisis, which obviously has turned violent and deadly. Uh, The BBC has reported that at least nine people have died and more than 200 were injured as vehicles and houses were set alight during fighting between government supporters and critics this week. Um, And also the deployment of military force uh, has been unlikely to quell unrest uh, as the anger and frustration displayed by the public which has been aggravated by pro-government protesters, is only likely to grow, uh, fueling further distrust in the ruling government. Um, I won't say much more about that because I think uh, Dr. Nira Kandasamy explains all of that really well, which you'll be hearing later on. Um, So on Sunday, there were huge events all across um, the country uh, for Nakba, uh, and I went to the one in Nam, um, which took place right outside the State Library. And it was a really um, important event. There were lots of people there, which was really great to see a lot of um, Palestinians and also uh, people supporting um, the Palestinian community here in Nam. Um, there were quite a few speakers talking about, um, you know, Nakba, 74 years since um uh, genocide and the dispossession of Palestinian um, lands and, and homes. Um, and there was also music and um, stories as well. So it's really important to note that it was um, in some ways um, uh, mourning and a lot of grief 
being shared, but also a celebration of the survival and resistance of Palestinians um, everywhere in the world. Um, so yeah, that was that was on Sunday. I think you can still. Um, experience you know some of the speakers that were there if you have a look on social media um but yeah i would highly recommend that you read up on it and check that out some pretty devastating news from america there's been another racially motivated shooting in buffalo new york an 18 year old white man has killed 10 people in a racially motivated attack in a black neighborhood he wore military grit gear and live stream the shooting through a helmet camera. He has now released a manifesto where he claims he was radicalized by the Christchurch mosque shooter Brenton Tarrant and references several other white supremacist attacks that have recently occurred globally. And despite heaps of firearm homicides um, in America, they're nearly up from 35, they're up 35% from 2019 to 2020. despite this and recurring mass casualty shootings across the nation, all initiatives to reform US's, the US's gun laws have failed in Congress. Um, just wanted to touch on the death of LGBTIQA plus activist Uvashi Vaid, who passed away um, a few days ago. Um, she was an activist who worked um, all her life promoting rights of queer people, of women, of poor people, people of colour. Um, she was a, an attorney and also founded the Boston Lesbian Gay Political Alliance, um, which is a non-partisan political organisation that advocates for Boston's gay community. Um, she did a bunch of amazing work for so many incredible communities um, and is survived by her partner, Kate Clinton. Um, she's also the auntie of Alok, um, who is an incredible... Um, trans activist, non-binary activist as well. If you don't follow Alok on Instagram, I would really recommend it. They've written um, a beautiful uh, tribute to their aunt, which is worth reading. Mm. Um, In other news, just wanted to let listeners know that the second edition of the Sunday paper is now available and it features... um, work from uh, a bunch of Palestinian and First Nations um, writers here, including Lorna Munro, Bo Spiram. Um, we've also got um, the Palestinians of Mukayam Shatila um, and other um, writers and artists such as Omar Saker and Jordana Silverstein. So that is out if people are interested in purchasing the Sunday paper. And just some news from... Uh, New South Wales, um, the Aboriginal Cultural and Resource Centre in the Blue Mountains um, has been operating for almost 30 years and is a really uh, central support service for Indigenous communities in the area. It is now facing closure as the New South Wales government has advised it doesn't comply with accessibility and bushfire safety regulations um, and the government is not willing to pay for the upgrades. Um, The chair of the board, Bernadette O'Brien, has called out the government for the double standard um, where they say that they have targets to close the gap, but then their actions don't really match what they say. Um, And the Blue Mountains Mayor, Mark Greenhill, has accused the government of overstating the problems so they can sell off the land after neglecting to um, take care of it for years and allowing it to become run down.
three other community groups who provide disability support, counselling and other vital community services are also facing eviction in the area. Mm, that's really devastating news. Mm. Um, and just a reminder, <laughs> the election is this Saturday. Woohoo! <laughs> Unrelated, the election is this Saturday. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> all right. Um, well, we will be right back with a track after this. The federal election is on Saturday, the 21st of May. Across the country, the Australian Electoral Commission is mailing out an official guide to the election. In it, you'll find all the information you need to make your vote count, including what COVID-19 safety measures will be in place. If you don't receive a copy, you can get one online at aec.gov.au or by calling 132326. It's our vote and our future. Authorised by the Electoral Commissioner, Canberra. A 3CR supporter. You're back on Tuesday Breakfast uh, and we're going to go to a track now by uh, Nam-based Japanese and Australian singer-songwriter Maya Harasidio. And this is her new single, True Love. was True Love by Mara Maya Herisadio. 
We're now going to hear from Susan Arthur and Heather Smith, who were on the show Raising Our Voices, speaking about Positive Powerful Parents, a support group set up by parents with intellectual disabilities to keep their children. Positive Powerful Parents want the Victorian government to commit to ending the discrimination of parents with an intellectual disability. Raising Our Voices is a radio show run by people with a disability about people with disability. Nothing about us without us. On 3CR 8.55am, 3CR Digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Trevor and I, who are members of Positive Powerful Parents, also known as CPP, are going to talk about Positive Powerful Parents. So Positive Powerful Parents was started by me because I didn't realise how many people with an intellectual disability had faced similar issues as I with removal of their children. So that's why we started because, yeah, I just didn't realise how many other parents there were. Positive Powerful Parents is run for and by people with an intellectual disability and who have had involvement with child protection. And Positive Powerful Parents is a safe group because whatever is said in the room stays in the room and everyone understands your story because they've been through it as well. And we have a lot of social events as well, so you're not so lonely. Australia has signed and ratified the United Nations Convention on the Rights of People with Disability. And under Article 23, it states that the country must provide support to parents with a disability and must not take our children because of the disability of the child or the parent. Down the bottom it says that the child's needs are paramount and I think that's how child protection gets around this. But what I guess positive, powerful parents would like to know is, uh, other people to know is that there isn't any programs out there for people with disabilities. So often that's how they lose their children. So in our opinion, the country and the government is not adhering to what they've signed and ratified. Heather? From my lived experience throughout my life, I don't think the UN Convention on the Rights of People with a Disability has changed much. 
because of the way that I've been treated throughout my life. Make sure every child protection worker and parent in hospital and all the medical staff at the hospital get training and just to make it easier on the parents and the child and the whole family because it's very hard losing a child and it causes family conflict. Uh, Just if you are a parent with intellectual disability and you don't know about us, I'll be mentioning in a minute how you can find us and please come and join us. We're not about telling other people your story or dogging you in to child protection. That's not what we're about. We're mainly about trying to fight this issue and support one another. So if you are a parent with ID and don't already know about us, please get in contact with us and join the group. We would be happy to see you. Check our website and Facebook page if you're a parent with intellectual disability. Even if you're not a parent, you can still check our stuff. Uh, We've got two Facebook pages, one purple, which is for parents only, and one red for whoever is interested and likes our group. So if you don't have an intellectual disability, you can still join the red page and our website as well. You can still check our website. Uh, Our website is www.positivepowerfulparents.com.au and our Facebook page is www.facebook.com forward slash positivepowerfulparents. Heather and Sue, what changes would you like to see for positive, powerful parents? Uh, Sue talking here, I think the main change I would like to see is for parents to stop losing their children and to keep their own children in their care with the support they need rather than losing their children. Have you ever been criticised in public um, about being a parent with a disability? No, I haven't, but I guess that's because I don't have my child with me. The closest I would have got is when my child was young and back when I was living in Croydon, she wanted to go on one of them rides that you see at supermarkets and I had just moved, so I didn't have much money, but I had a little bit of money for some fruit for her. So I said no, and the child protection worker overruled my decision and decided to pay for the ride for her. So I felt a bit humiliated because they only meant to stop my decision if I was... Um, might be hurting her or something, and I don't see how not letting her have a ride 
was going to hurt her. Oh. Heather? Um, I've been criticised within the family. I don't want to say too much because it's on a radio show. That's fair enough. We're speaking of privacy. How did powerful parents cope with lockdown? Oh, we were very lucky. We still operated via Zoom and, yeah, we managed to stay afloat. Although towards the end we realised it was getting hard because we had we had two groups, one in Morwell and one in Melbourne, and we had a number of people from both groups who either didn't have the resources that but we did offer them the resources. So I think it was more to the point they didn't trust the resources or didn't trust the, the, what their story wouldn't get out there if they were on the internet. So they said they would only come to face-to-face meetings and it was getting really challenging apart from the core group that we've already got to get members to come because they just didn't trust, I think, programs like Zoom and Facebook. And I guess when you've been a person with a disability and had bad things happen to you one after another, I can understand why they might not trust things. Oh. Heather, did you need to add anything to that? Um, no, thank you. It must have been hard for you guys to not be able to see your child during lockdown. Yeah, um, some of us did, some of us didn't. The government did stop one parent from seeing her child completely and PPP wrote a letter to the minister at the time, which I can't remember who it was, but they didn't seem to like our letter because as soon as they received our letter, she was allowed to see the child again on Zoom. So um, they were trying to say that the child wouldn't understand because the child was one and or a baby, and it's like, well, the parent still has a right to see that child. So, yes, they did try and blame the COVID situation and try and say, oh, that's why you can't see it. But we got on to that and we said, why? And then I think they don't, I don't think they had the answer. So they fixed the problem. The problem was too scared to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. That was Susan Arthur and Heather Smith speaking about Positive Powerful Parents, a support group set up by parents with uh, intellectual disabilities. Um, They also spoke about the challenges that they experienced during COVID. You can hear the full conversation at Raising Our Voices, a show produced and presented by people with disabilities covering issues such as housing, discrimination, difficulties with public transport, self-advocacy and other related issues. Raising Our Voices airs on 3CR on Wednesdays between 6 to 6.30pm. 
Yeah, very incredible piece of audio that is. And we're going to go to another song now by uh, an incredible up-and-coming artist, Elsie Wameo, who is a Kenyan-born Australian singer-songwriter, mostly singing in the hip-hop genre. Uh, She released her debut EP, Nilotic, earlier this year, and this is one of my favourite tracks off it called River Nile. Fight to defend my peace. Struggle to find a relief. All the pain still sits skin deep. Been vexed for a couple of weeks. Man, stress don't stack the peeps. But we press down by all means. All the begging and pleading are all peace. That is the beginning of an lot G. Living all running and we moving in threes. To the far east on the borderline. Been far less tears, but I still cry. I've been on the edge, but I'll get mine. Build up the empire. I'm setting out to the fine. Build up the new kind. Should have invested the first time. Should have invested the first time. Should have invested the first time. River now with a flow that can never run out, of course. Move with an unknown source. I'm a kawa, I mean I could just force. Not like I got two round of applause. How many only ever watch I could doors? Any statements stay on your tours? Not could juggle pave, mentally aid myself and the ones when I crawl in that door. Been time they won't let me be free. Dabbed up with that pain to go deep on a borderline rage. You know I don't. Already they were giving me the antidote. How you feel to be messing with the federal? Last time I broke for a medical, worst place I was in by far. But you bet I'm gonna get it all. I get it all. I get it when I'm getting older, making and bleeding an OP. That is the beginning of an ideology. Over now, running over, moving in threes to the far east on a borderline. Been far less tears, but I still cry. I've been on the edge, but I'll get mine. Build up the empire. I'm setting out to define. Build up the new kind. Should have invested the first time. Should have invested the first time. Should have invested the first time. And I've been running away from freedom Where the hell could it have been? Where has it been? I've been a victim And I could have been locked up 40 years now I'm running away Flow nice like the river now Never running out Making it with or without Living it clear like a diamond ring Royalty never less than No, you cannot relate No, it is not your place La tanini las maniongena luga ingene waniski but they won't live to be free. Dabbed up with that pain to go deep. On a borderline rage, you know I don't. Already they were giving me the antidote. How you feel to be messing with the federal? Last time I wrote for a medical. Worst place I was in by far. But you bet I'm gonna get it all. I get it all. I get it when I'm getting older, begging and pleading an OP. That is the beginning of an ILOG. Moving now, running over, moving in threes. To the far east on a borderline. Been far less tears, but I still cry. I've been on the edge, but I'll get mine. Build up the empire. I'm setting out to the fine. Build up the new kind. Should have invested the first time. Should have invested the first time. Should have invested the first time. That was Elsie Wameo with her track River Nile. 
Yesterday on Women on the Line, Scheherazade spoke with Mikkel, who is a researcher doing their honours in anthropology at the University of Melbourne. Mikkel, who would like to remain anonymous and therefore is using a pseudonym, has a background in community organising and has a particular interest in using the tools of anthropology to interrogate power structures in ways that can be useful to grassroots communities. In their discussion, Scheherazade and Mikkel look into the freedom movements in Melbourne as well as the upcoming federal election. Well, just for a bit of context for listeners, can you tell us uh, what the freedom movement is, how it started, what are, who are the key actors? Totally. Particularly, I'd say the freedom movement started in, in Melbourne. Like, I think there's been pockets of similar or parallel action across Australia. Uh, but it kind of spawned out of the lockdowns and specifically uh, against vaccine mandates. Uh, but obviously lockdowns started like two years ago now and mandates have now ended in a lot of different states. We still have some workplace like vaccine mandates in Victoria. But uh, I'm not sure exactly when, but at some point it became more about freedom and less about lockdowns. Uh, and I think that that maybe was triggered particularly towards the end of last year where there was the the union strike and that kind of tangentially or kind of was coexisting with a lot of spontaneous protests. And I think that's when I specifically noticed freedom, the word being used the most. Um, yeah, and so now people are still campaigning for the end of like workplace mandates around vaccines. But some people, it's become a much bigger issue uh, of like corruption or the end of the Andrews government in Victoria or the overthrowing of the federal government. Yeah, for the people that are kind of uh, targeting Canberra. So there's a really broad range of um, goals, shall we say. The key groups like on the ground, so to speak, like attending the protests in Melbourne are there's like Rise Melbourne. Uh, there's the Solidarity Movement of Australia, who I think have very interesting iconography linking themselves to the Solidarnosc movement, uh, which was resisting the end of the Soviet regime in Poland in the 80s. Um, there's Reignite Democracy Australia, which people might have heard of because they have some very um, prominent YouTubers or people that are kind of like explicitly like profiting off creating anti-vax uh, kind of content on YouTube. Um, there was a moment where there was a hero to zero like campaign supporting healthcare workers that have been locked out of work because they're not vaccinated, but that movement's kind of been a bit dormant. Um, but now, other other than that, you've kind of got your like broad um, citizens or individual citizens that are just attending. But far and wide, everyone has really heavily jumped on the election, uh, and there's a really interesting. Uh, really kind of uh, intentionally pluralist approach to the elections that everyone's like, we don't care who you vote for, just vote the majors last is the like the words that they're using. Um, but there's a lot of United Australia Party, Australia One, um, Pauline Hanson's One Nation Party, and then even, even more kind of obscure fringe groups that have popped up just for this election. So, yeah, when we talk about the freedom rallies or the, the ways that they've been... Um, spoken about at least in in kind of liberal mainstream media has been you know often in relation to disenfranchisement or a lack of education or this is the way that Mm. you know the reasons why people 
are participating in this movement. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also another theme that pops up is around selfishness um, and around kind of people's individual individual progression has been stopped by the pandemic. I think that those, I think that those type of yeah analyses are not far off. Like I'm definitely looking. I'm trying to find more than like libertarianism or more than this kind of individualistic mindset. Um, I haven't found much yet. Like definitely as much as everyone participating in the freedom movement is really about coming together. Uh, they are kind of coming together around a quite individualistic uh, concept of freedom. Like, you know, the mantras at the rallies are like, you know, protect our children and the right to work. So the, the idea that the idea of freedom doesn't really extend very far than like the workplace or the family. Um, but I think that when maybe one challenge to the, the, the argument of selfishness is actually that uh, I think there's a really uh, serious issue around like the design of like social media or media platforms in general that I think hasn't really, we don't really have the tools to grapple with. Um, And the fact that like people time and again, they're saying like, I'm not using mainstream media. I'm going from YouTube to Telegram or I'm going from YouTube to nine gag or, you know, random platform, platform, platform. Um, I think that we don't yet know how to uh, engage with this extreme degree of misinformation yeah, I think that that is really missing from the conversation because it is prolific. Uh, and I think, I guess, again, maybe like coming back to the anthropological approaches, I'm trying to understand people's points of view without empathizing to the degree of like agreeing with people. And I just from the time that I spend on Telegram, I think that it is quite distressing uh, the to, to be in that worldview of like every if, if all of the information that they're taking on their thinking is actually real like that's a really the world is like really chaotic and stressful like and, and I guess the world is chaotic and stressful but um, they're kind of existing in this inverted space um, yeah cool and just for listeners nine gag is a meme sharing yeah. what's nine gag <laughs> yeah sharing. nine gag is kind of like if TikTok was just memes, it's kind of like a news feed of memes and videos. Uh, and yeah, that's how some people are just getting their news just, just from memes. You were saying that, you know, from your observations on these kind of um, encrypted messaging apps, you've noticed that uh, at least every day there's like anti-Semitic mm-hmm. messaging. How are people from what you've noticed so far, how are people engaging with those, I guess, broader far-right underpinnings of the of the movement? Maybe I could give a little summary of like a day in the life of being in one of these Telegram chats, which is, yeah, you'll get a lot of, like, I guess, firstly, it's pretty like chaotic, like, because uh, people can post to channels like really prolifically and you don't have to have a source or anything. So, um, in any one of these like main, yeah, there'll be like maybe some video content that's like pro Russia. There may be some memes. There'll be something about, uh, like something debunking vaccines or some kind of like alternative medicine. And then there will 
sometimes you'll come across something that is like, yeah, and I, I guess warning this is like really like anti-Semitic stuff, but like really often like messages that are like bombarding lists of, you know, how Pfizer is connected to, uh, there's, there's like, it's some kind of web between Pfizer, China, the US, um, George Soros, like all of these things that go like around and around and around and how it's kind of this like capitalist uh, Jewish elite that are profiting from um, the vaccine or like the so-called pandemic, like if it exists. Um, and then and then you'll go back to some kind of like obscure memes. There's also things that are really uh, transphobic and it, it's just kind of like an unending. There'll be like, you know, 60 plus posts a day in just one channel and people are often following like many channels. And like, you know, prefacing all of this uh, by saying that a lot of people are like a really key pillar of the freedom movement is a really strong, strong, like vehement distrust of mainstream media. So this is how people are absorbing their information and their news is like only on platforms like Telegram or YouTube or things more obscure that I'm kind of coming to understand now, but I'm not familiar with. Um, But spaces where, particularly Telegram, spaces that are 100% misinformation, like, yeah, no, no facts or sorry, not facts as we understand them. And I guess your, your research comes at an interesting time just before the, the election. What are the main themes that people are talking about or that you've noticed on these uh, chat, in these chat rooms and these chat pages or encrypted messaging apps? There's a really strong thing about like ending certain leadership. So obviously like Dan Andrews is a really like hated figure in the freedom movement. So um, while there's the the federal election coming up now, I think that they've already got their sights on the November state election. Um, Otherwise, it is just a kind of general thing of corruption and centralization of power. So, which is, again, really interesting for people that are quite open about never having been interested in politics before. Um, They've kind of accelerated from zero interest to, like, 100% mistrust of the the major parties. Um, But otherwise, there's a kind of really, uh, I'd say, incoherent mix of what people want beyond that. Like, it's kind of just an end to corruption, which they see... Uh, as being achievable through having like a balance of power in these like minor parties. And then beyond that, I think it's kind of anyone's game. That was Mikkel speaking with Shahrazad on yesterday's episode of Women on the Line. To listen back to that full episode, you can go to www.3cr.org.au forward slash Women on the Line. Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program for community radio. It's a gender analysis of contemporary issues as well as in-depth analysis by a range of women and gender divided diverse people around Australia and internationally. It airs every Monday from 8.30 to 9 a.m. We are going to play another track for you now. It's very exciting. It is Bumpy's new single. Um, Bumpy is a Noongar artist, and uh, this is her new track, Return Home.
Or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. 
So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111500. That's 1300 111500. Wellways supports 3CR. Uh, the track that played before was Return Home by Bumpy. And we're going to go to a conversation now I had yesterday uh, following uh, that Sri Lanka has descended into further economic and political crisis following the resignation of Prime Minister Mahinda Rajapaksa last week, who stepped down after protests over the island nation's worsening economic crisis turned violent and deadly. Writing about the recent events is Dr. Nero Kandasamy, a lecturer in history at the University of Sydney and member and spokesperson for the Tamil Refugee Council. I spoke to Nero about the current events unfolding in Sri Lanka, what led to these events and what could happen in the future for Sri Lanka. Thank you so much for joining us, Nero. Thank you for having me. No, always a pleasure to have you on Tuesday Breakfast. And I wanted to start off by giving our listeners some context to the recent protests and military brutality that we're seeing in the news currently. And obviously you've written extensively of the worsening economic and political crisis happening in Sri Lanka uh, that had led up to the resignation of Prime Minister Mahinda Rajapaksa and uh, I guess the current presidency of his brother, Gotabaya Rajapaksa, who is still in power, but for the listeners that I guess don't know or don't really have a full understanding of what's going on, could you explain what led up to the devastating economic impact of the Rajapaksa government in Sri Lanka and I guess why this led to Mahinda Rajapaksa's resignation? Yeah, so as we're seeing from the news reports, um, the Sri Lankan population is incredibly angry at the government. Um, they're struggling to, you know, to feed themselves. Um, there are long power cuts that are affecting day-to-day life and they simply can't uh, continue this way. And I think there are, there are quite a few reasons um, that help us understand how Sri Lanka has gotten to this point Um Like the rest of the world, the impacts of COVID have been devastating on the health system. And, you know, that also affected the tourism industry. Uh, The war in Ukraine has affected fuel shortages and also crippled the tourism industry, specifically because both Russia and the Ukraine are key tourist markets. But aside from COVID-19, we also need to bear in mind that economists have long warned and condemned consecutive Sri Lankan governments for um, mismanaging the economy. Um, And it's historically, Sri Lanka has historically always lacked domestically owned capital, instead focusing on export industries. There are some deep-rooted economic challenges that the Sri Lankan population has faced as a result of these economic um, decision-making. Yeah, And I think, you know, more recently that's come to bearing under the presidency of uh, Gautabaya Rajapaksha in 2019 when he introduced a series of really poor economic decisions. One of those was um, the significant tax cuts. So when he came, and this was before COVID-19, those tax cuts were quite significant in the sense that, you know, some of these taxes went from something like 15% down to 8%. Um, And these tax cuts resulted in further reductions in gross domestic product revenues and so on. Um, And uh, another example is um, 
the chemical, the ban on chemical fertilizers, which caused a shutdown of plantations and reduced the population's ability to feed itself. And this ban triggered inflation um, and effectively crushed those key export industries like tea and rubber. And this is significant for a country that relies um, on its export industries. Yeah, yeah. And obviously we're seeing and have been seeing for the last uh, few weeks huge protests, which did uh, eventually end up, will lead up to the resignation of the Prime Minister, Mahinda Rajapaksa, who is uh, Gotabaya's brother. Um, There's been much talk about, you know, uh, why he resigned, uh, you know, was it part of a more political strategy or was it forced? Uh, Would you be able to explain uh, this resignation for our audience? I think it's difficult to say what the intentions are behind Mahinda Rajapaksha's resignation. Um, we also saw another member of the Rajapaksha family, Basil, uh, be dismissed by Gautabaya Rajapaksha. Um, so I think at this early stage, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly the reason behind Mahinda's resignation. We do know that um, Gautabaya is also trying to Uh, remain credible in the face of growing um, anger and frustration on the part of the population that is directed squarely at the Rajapaksha family. And so the replacement of Mahinda with Ranil Wickremesinghe as the Prime Minister is is one, perhaps it's one attempt by um, Gautabaya to to really try and maybe bring the population Onto, onto its onto his side, but at this early at this early stage, it's difficult to know why that decision was made. Yeah, of course. And I wanted to focus on, you know, obviously we're seeing an increase of militarization, which is something that is not new to Sri Lanka, unfortunately, um, but especially brought upon by the constitutional changes, uh, which you know, as you were saying, solidified power for the Rajapaksa government. Um, what sort of military force are we seeing there and what sort of effect is this having on civilians and especially discriminated groups like Tamils and Muslims? Yeah, I think in recent days we've seen really a drastic escalation in the militarization in the South. Um, we're seeing clashes between anti-government and pro-government groups and these protests um, have led to, you know, um, uh, a quite, a, you know, an open display of violence on the part of the government where it's deployed military forces and given orders to the military to shoot people. Um, so that, that's been quite a drastic escalation of the situation in Sri Lanka the past couple of days. Um, and I think, you know, we only need to look at its, as you said, the treatment of Tamils and Muslims to get a sense of you know, how just kind of how deeply entrenched militarization is um, within the Sri Lankan state. But, you know, one example that gives us an indication of this is to just look at the 2022 budget. Um, and that budget shows us that, you know, uh, the Ministry of Finance had given the largest amount to the Ministry of Defence, even though the Civil War ended in 2009, some 13 years ago. At the same time, the health ministry was allocated 6 billion rupees less for the year 2022 in comparison to 2021, um, even as COVID-19 continues. And so I think, you know, militarization is, you know, quite entrenched um, and encroaches on everyday life in the North and East where Tamils live. 
Um, you know, there's something like one military personnel for every six civilians in the North and East. So it's, as you said, not surprising, um, but it is, it is deeply concerning and the United Nations has yet again uh, condemned the use of military violence against um, citizens. Yeah, and obviously we're seeing lots of people taking to the streets and protesting and that's kind of being met with um, that militarization. Um, I just wanted to ask, you know, obviously seeing a lot of these protesters out in the streets, what exactly are they demanding from the government? Yeah, so they're demanding um, that Gautabaya resign. So, you know, they're chanting go home, Gota, which is an explicit call for him and his family, which, you know, they've got quite um, a terrible reputation for being corrupt, siphoning millions of dollars to offshore accounts. Um, just last year or maybe the year before, the Pandora Papers revealed that extended members of the Rajapaksha family um, had huge amounts of unexplained wealth in offshore accounts. So the population are incredibly angry and frustrated at just how poorly um, the Rajapaksha family have been, um, you know, have have really um, brought this country to the brink of bankruptcy as a result of their corrupt behaviour. Um, and I think, you know, the probably the most kind of urgent call here is to restore some sort of, um, you know, restore basic amenities. These are people who are lining up for hours waiting for basic things like fuel. They don't have food. They just can't afford some of the food that is available as well. So, what they're calling for is is a restoration back to some kind of normal where, you know, the prices for basic things like white rice, which is a staple of, you know, a key food staple in Sri Lanka becomes affordable again because the price of white rice has almost doubled since 2019. Um, and it's, it's not just the mainstream population, it's hugely it's it disproportionately affects those who are um who are further marginalized right so you know not just ethnically but you know people with disabilities people um you know working class populations and so on yeah of course um and you've written extensively about this and I think it would be awesome if you could reiterate what you've written um in terms of you know the next steps for Sri Lanka you know, is there a chance for a stabilising of power or has government trust altogether been shattered? I mean, I think as a historian, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think the Sri Lankan state has uh, quite a complex relationship with its society. And as a historian of migration, specifically Tamil migration to Australia, its treatment of Tamils indicates that you know, it really is incapable of listening to its population. And I think if if we are going to see or um, if we are going to witness any kind of positive change, there needs to be, there needs to be um, a change, a fundamental change at the, le- at the level of the state, right? This is an ethnocratic state that pushes for um, singular Buddhist ideas, And so, you know, within that framework, I think it'll be very difficult um, to see the government um, 
I guess, respond to the needs of all of its citizens. Um, and, you know, just on that, the, the militarization that we're seeing on the streets in the South in the last couple of days just captures how the government intends and has been responding to political dissent. So I think just based on what we've seen in the last couple of days, the outlook, as far as I can tell, is quite bleak. Um, There's a fundamental problem with the state that allocates more money for defence than public health amid a COVID-19 pandemic and severe economic crisis, the worst the country has seen in its modern history. Um, And I think the continued calls for justice on the part of Tamils and Muslims indicates that there's a long way to go if um, Sri Lanka is to is to turn a new leaf. Definitely. And I think just as a closing remark, just because I think this crisis has been widely underreported in mainstream media, especially because all that Australian media can focus on now is the election. Um, it would be great if you could direct people or our listeners to avenues where, you know, they can support Sri Lanka. Um, I know that Tamil Refugee Council does heaps of work or even where they can read accurate information or articles about what's going on. Yeah, so as you mentioned, the Tamil Refugee Council does a lot of work in this space. Um, So please like uh, our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, uh, get involved. We do a lot of campaigns this week. We've been campaigning. um, Sorry, we've had uh, commemorative events this week, this week to mark 13 years since the Tamil genocide which um, killed, you know, which resulted in the massacre of tens of thousands of Tamils slaughtered by Sri Lankan armed forces. And so May 18 marks a significant day for the Tamil population. So I think, you know, following Tamil Refugee Council is one way, but there are also, um, you know, a lot of, I think, you know, Al Jazeera, for example, has been covering um, some of these stories as well. Um, And also, Twitter seems to be a good place to follow some uh, advocates who um, are saying things that the mainstream media are not. So, yeah, check out those spaces, I think. Definitely. And we can link to your Twitter as well um, because you post some really awesome stuff about what's going on as well. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Nero, for joining us on Tuesday Breakfast. Have been such a pleasure chatting to you about Sri Lanka uh, and what's been going on there. Thank you so much for having me. That was Dr. Nero Kandasamy speaking about events in Sri Lanka, the further militarization from the Rajapaksa rule and discrimination against Tamil and Muslim citizens. Just to reiterate, May 18, which is tomorrow, is Tamil Genocide Day, which marks the day in 2009 when the Sri Lankan military massacred tens of thousands of Tamils. It is estimated that up to 170,000 people were murdered in the final weeks of the assaults. Please support the Tamil Refugee Council by following them on Instagram at TRC Australia, Facebook and Twitter at TRC Oz. And please follow Nero on Twitter. It's at Nero underscore K-A-N for updates on what is happening on Sri Lanka. Next up, we have on the line Shurasi Mukherjee. Shurasi has a Master's in Mechanical Engineering from Cornell University and has been a passionate practicing, practicing mechanical engineer for over 12 years. 
She's currently working at 5B, a company that provides large-scale innovative solar solutions. Shirsi draws from her own experiences and writes about women in STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and has founded Steminism.co, which is an intersectional feminist website that discusses and fights for women's issues in STEM industries. Welcome to the show, Shirsi. Hi, thanks for having me. So can you start off by just giving us a bit more about a, uh, of a background on how you got into mechanical engineering and what your career has been like so far? Sure. Um, so, well, my dad's a mechanical engineer, and I think he um, tried really hard to convince me otherwise. But I was always interested in physics and math and um, basically just wanted to keep asking why is there not a better way to do things. So um, I became a mechanical engineer in like 2009 <laughs> and um, since then I worked in a variety of uh, companies uh, around the world um, I think it's common knowledge that there's not a lot of women in um, engineering specifically mechanical engineering so that's been hard at times uh, there definitely is discrimination and things and uh, all of that inspired me to um, start writing articles, and I ended up creating Steminism. Yeah, tell us a bit more about that. Um, what specifically led you to starting Steminism? Sure, yeah, so I used to write for a Sydney Feminist Group, and uh, I wanted to focus a little bit more specifically on women in STEM and the kind of issues that they face, um, and also what can potentially change to make uh, the lives of women in STEM better, and also why we need women uh, in STEM fields in the first place, why that push is so important. Um, and, yeah, I had a pretty good collection of articles and a pretty a decent network of uh, women, I guess, who had been there and done that and thought like me and um, thought it was a good thing to start something of my own. And... Um, we have a mentorship program going right now, and um, we're working on a few other things as well. What are some of the main issues you've noticed for women in STEM, and are they more pronounced for women of color? Uh, I would say so, yeah. So um, that's the whole concept of intersectionality. Right? You've got overlapping um, issues of various types of marginalized people. It's not my favorite term, but that's what it is. And um, I, I did have a lot of discrimination. I got handed, you know, lighter projects, um, told on my face that I was um, a diversity hire. Um, in class, for example, I would never get picked for group projects and things. Um, there's, there's, you know, there's tiny little things, but they really add up and they really discourage uh, somebody from staying in that industry, especially with all of the toxic masculinity and locker talk it even sort of inspires you to treat other women the same way that you see men treat you um to sort of distance yourself from women and be more accepted uh, in that kind of a group and unfortunately maybe have been a part of that culture um but yeah you you learn and you grow and you get to a point where you realize what you're worth and uh fight for it yeah i think that's a really important point that you just raised where they they're you know seemingly small things but um they create this culture where you you know they, there's it discourages unity amongst women in a field where there's hardly any women anyway so it keeps men kind of in the field and in power 
which is yeah, it's not. It, it may look like small things, but they're not really because they add up. Yeah, absolutely.、Um, so、you you feel sexism、uh, on yourself, and so you want to distance yourself from other women as a way to protect yourself from being a target of sexism.、Uh, terrible、um, method, but it, it did get used a lot. So last week on our show,、uh, we spoke with a few experts about women's reproductive rights and their concerns about things like overturning Roe versus Wade in America having potential impacts on women's rights here in Australia. Do you think having more women in STEM can actually impact thoughts around things like this、um, and policy? Absolutely.、Um, so it's not just to debunk.、Um, Myths around abortion, which the scientific、uh, community plays a really big role in doing,、uh, but it's,、uh, it's it's many other things. So you've got you know、uh, marginalized people have suffered at the hands of science、um, in history a lot. You know the science of eugenics was used to justify sterilizing women of color and disabled people for decades. You had conversion theory, which is still used today、um, to try to change people's sexual orientation. Um, African American men were、uh, allowed to suffer and die of syphilis、uh, for decades in a government experiment. So yeah, you've got you know a real need for、uh, women, people of color,、um, all sorts of people to participate in the scientific community. Scientists have a unique position in society that ideally helps di- dictate how laws are made. And typically, they tend to stay afraid of controversies because they're taught to believe that being outspoken would chip away at their public credibility. But、um, it's really important that we stand up because science has been misrepresented and weaponized for a really long time to harm people and perpetrate、um, oppression. Yeah, and I think this also、um, definitely applies to the medical field, where you know women's pain is not taken seriously, and、um, when research is done, it's done primarily、uh, on male bodies, and so you're never sure how a vaccine or a、um, you know just even just antibiotics medication can affect women. One hundred percent. It's not just that. Even like the most basic uh, engineering. Um, Experiments in in say designing a car,、uh, seatbelts are, for example, designed completely for men, and women are like forty percent more、uh, susceptible to being hurt in a car accident because of it. A really good example、um, of how women are not taken seriously is the Netflix show The Principles of Pleasure. You've got actual scientists, psychologists, and psychophysiologists in the show that say that the research was rejected. Due to male discomfort in the scientific community, we've got like eighty percent of women in health. Eighty percent of the people in healthcare are women, but they're mostly in relatively lower-paying fields, and only say twenty percent are actually health executives and board members that can make a difference. Just why representation is so important. How can STEM become more inclusive and place more value on the lived experience and knowledge that women can bring to the field? Well, there's a lot of different things that、um, companies can do to make women feel more at home and be more inclusive.、Uh, academia, in general, has a publish or perish、um, attitude that really harms women who are, say, going through a maternity leave.、Um, but forgetting all of that, putting all of that、uh, aside for a second, literally the best way is to just have more women in STEM. 
and that is where that is on us uh, adults to make sure that we bring up our children without biases, uh, make sure in school that they're um, given all the encouragement they need to be given, and we're not differentiating between, you know, uh, soft sciences, which is a terrible term of saying that this particular field has more women, <laughs> and uh, making sure those things don't exist so our kids can have equal opportunity and decide to be uh, in STEM skills on their own. Um, and it's it's definitely going to be just the absolute numbers and presence that helps um, women stand up for other women, stop uh, isolating other women as well, and um, have a say in the scientific community and hopefully in lawmaking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and hopefully initiatives like Steminism.co can, you know, make a dent in the culture that is currently so male um, and, you know, begin to at least start to change the values. Um, where can our listeners find out more about Steminism? Um, so the website is Steminism.co uh, and we have an Instagram page, which is also at Steminism.co. Amazing. Um, that's unfortunately all we have time for this morning, Sherasi. But thank you so much for joining us and talking about this really important issue on air. Thank you so much for having me. So that was Sherasi Mukherjee, who is a mechanical engineer, talking to us about why it's important to have women in STEM and how that can impact research, medical practice, policies, and more. We will link to uh, STEMinism in our show notes later today. Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon and help keep communities strong. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2022. To donate, call 03 9419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2022. Keep communities strong. Hey, you mob. It's the simple, everyday things we can all do that will help protect our families and community from coronavirus. Like wearing a mask when required, catching up outside if we can, keeping indoor spaces well ventilated with windows and doors open as much as possible and getting tested if we feel unwell. Let's keep being COVID safe every day. To find out more, go to coronavirus.vic.gov.au. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. So today, May 17th, is the International Day Against Homophobia, Biophobia, Interphobia and Transphobia, otherwise known as Ida Hobbit. And joining us on the show now is Emma Shannon, who is one of the health promotion team leaders at Sunbury and Cobor Community Health. The health promotion team run a number of programs that support the LGBTQIA plus community in Sunbury and the Mastin Ranges, including the youth focused way out program, which celebrates its 20th anniversary this year. 
Emma is on the show to talk about Ida Hobbit events happening in Sunbury, including a raise the flag ceremony and some exhibitions. Thank you so much for joining us, Emma. Hi there. How are you doing? Good. How are you going this morning? Yeah, I'm very excited. Um, I think it's been, you know, we've done a fair bit of work building up to this in the community. And for Sunbury, it's the first ever rainbow or pride flag raising. So there's a lot of excitement in the community. We're hoping we see a lot of people out there and um, create a bit of visibility for the community on this day. Definitely. It seems like a very important day, especially for uh, the Sunbury community. Um, I just wanted to start off, you know, I'm sure our listeners are well across Ida Hobbit, but it would be great if you uh, could briefly explain, you know, what Ida Hobbit is and why it is important for the LGBTQIA plus community. Yeah, sure. So it's only 31 years ago um, that homosexuality has been removed from the classification of diseases and related health problems. So, I mean, that a lot has changed since those days, but basically Ida Hobbit is celebrated across the world and it raises awareness for the work that still needs to be done to combat discrimination that um, community members experience. Um, but by raising the rainbow flag, which is what we're doing in Sunbury, it sends like a really powerful symbol of acceptance and inclusion and um, yeah, affirmation for those community members. And we're very excited for, actually for the whole of the Hume City Council. It's the first flag raising. So Sunbury's feeling very proud. Yeah, definitely. And I, d- I wanted to get into more detail about that. Um, specific event, because obviously you work at Sunbury and Cobalt Community Health, uh, which has been working hard with the Hume Council to organise events that commemorate Ida Hobbit, um, one of which that you were just speaking to was the flag-raising ceremony. Uh, Could you just uh, tell us a little bit more about what will be happening in this event and uh, I guess more detail about why it's very important uh, for Sunbury? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, as I said, you know, raising the flag is a really powerful symbol. Um, we want to send a message that all LGBTIQA plus people are welcome and also celebrated. But we also want to acknowledge the discrimination and there's a lot of community members, especially older community members who have been through years of discrimination and trauma and, um, you know, we want to acknowledge the, the past that has happened to them and, and that we're lucky we are where we're at today. Um, communities like Sunbury sort of on the edge of Melbourne um, do generally have uh, higher rates of discrimination than some other areas, but Sunbury is a very close-knit community, so we've been very lucky to have lots of support. Um, in terms of the day itself, we're going to have a welcome to country from Wondery Elder Uncle Ringo Terrick, um, and then the Mayor, Councillor Carly Moore, will be speaking we have um, actually very, very lucky we have the, the Victorian Commissioner for LGBTIQA plus communities dropping in in his busy schedule today, as you can imagine. Um, so we're very lucky for that. We have community members speaking. So Tracy Oldham, who has been a tireless um, worker in the community working for LGBTIQA plus rights, she'll be helping to raise the flag and speaking a bit about her story. Um, we also have the general manager, so my manager of Building Healthy Communities at Sunbury and Cobalt Community Health speaking, and Pauline Crammery from VALS, which is LGBTIQA plus ageing and aged care. So we're really keen to represent across the um, lifespan and, and understand that you know the different experiences of people um, in different age groups. Um, we also have a local young person, Jamil, who is going to MC the event. 
Wow. Awesome. That sounds uh, like an incredible uh, event happening today. And especially what you were saying earlier, you know, this is the first time that there's been um, a flag raise uh, for Ida Hobbit or um, for uh, the LGBTQIA plus community in general in Sunbury. So it's obviously very significant. Um, And I also wanted to discuss, you know, you have some exhibitions happening. Could you explain what sort of exhibitions will be on display? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually um, created this uh, Rainbow Bridges exhibition and it exhibited in Kyneton last year. That was the first year it was done. Um, so it basically has film and photography that highlights the lived experience of the LGBTIQ plus community, um, basically from Sunbury and the central Victorian region, the participants were from there. So the project brought together younger and older members of the community to share their personal journeys with each other. And as I said, we've created some film and photography out of out of that experience. Um, so the exhibition and the project itself was made possible with funding from Regional Arts Victoria and the Macedon Rangers Shire Council, um, and was a joint project project between our programs Way Out and um, the Clip program that we run. Yeah, awesome. Um, and I do just before we wrap up at the end, um, we can reiterate some of the times and. Uh, locations that these events will be on today but just um I also just wanted to say maybe to really hit home to our audience you know why is it important to commemorate days like Ida Hobbit um especially you know you work in local community and council uh you know I guess in your own words why is it important to celebrate diverse people in local communities yeah absolutely well I think you know as a health service we're very aware of the health impacts of discrimination and we know that the LGBTIQA plus community um, does suffer from mental health issues and, and um, other issues and increased rates of suicide. So we know it's very important that, um, A, people are co- connected to community, feel safe and affirmed and are able to access health care that they need when they need it. And so... Um, events like Ida Hobbit raise awareness of the community. Um, I know today our events are also going to connect the local community with local service providers and with the community themselves so that they feel like they're part of a broader experience. And that all has a positive impact on people's well-being. Absolutely. Um, really amazing work that you're doing and um just for our listeners that maybe want to get down to some of these events would you be able to um tell us when uh i guess the flag raising is happening where and some of the exhibitions that are happening absolutely um so the flag raising is happening at the sunbury village green from 12 30 um today at lunchtime so we're hoping that people can hop down pop down in their lunch break or um, otherwise come along and um, the exhibition is at the Sunbury Youth Centre, which is on Evans Street in Sunbury. We'll be opening that from four, but um, official proceedings won't start till six o'clock and we will show a video and there'll be a few speakers as well. Awesome. And we can pop all those details up on our website so people can access them if they want to get down today. Well, thank you so much, Emma, for joining us on Tuesday Breakfast and talking about some of the exciting um, Ida Hobbit events happening in Sunbury. Thanks so much for having me. 
That was Emma Shannon from Sunbury Cobor Community Health talking about Ida Hobbit, which is an um, and important events running in Sunbury today, including Sunbury's very first flag raising, which uh, is a very significant event for them. Um, we'll pop this up on our website, but to find out more info on today's events, you can head to sunburycobor.org.au slash Ida Hobbit celebrations. Uh, we'll be right back after this. Get your Radical Summer Attire sorted. New stock of 3CR Radical Radio Tees has just landed, featuring the iconic antenna design by artist Emily Floyd. As well as our basic black, we have a range of great pastel and primary colours in a variety of sizes. And for those radical little people, we have a short run of kids' tees available too. For just $30 for adults or $20 for kids, you can get yourself a local, ethically manufactured and printed tea that supports Radical Community Radio. We can send one out in the post and there's Click and Collect from our studios at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or if you're fully vaxxed, you can drop in and browse our t-shirt rack during business hours. To purchase online, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. You're on Tuesday breakfast. <laughs> We're running out to the end of our show. Huge show, Carnegie, as always. I know. <laughs> so, um, we thought that maybe we'd end things with a track by an incredible artist, King Princess. I remember listening to King Princess a lot um, when I was a teenager. So I feel very nostalgic about it. Um, but this is a song by theirs that came out in 2018. Uh, called Talia. Hey, buried you a month or two ago. I keep thinking that you're standing on my floor. That you're waiting there for me. Walked out a hundred times, how was I supposed to know this time that you wouldn't come, that you wouldn't come home? But for drinks, I'm wasted. My bestest friends away and in this mess I think I dug a thousand graves, Talia I hope you're happy anyway But for drinks I'm wasted I can see you dancing
To 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Uh, we are just coming up to the end of the show. That was a great way to end the show, Jen. I know. Great so much emotion. Anyway. <laughs> um, we've had a massive show today. Um, we started off by listening to um, Positive Powerful Parents, um, which was Susan Arthur and Heather Smith speaking about um, PPP, a support group set up by parents with intellectual disabilities to keep their children. That was a really great talk. Um, we will link to the full talk later in our show notes, so I would definitely advise giving that a listen. Um, we then listened to a segment from Women on the Line where Sherazad spoke with a researcher, Mikhail, um, about the uh, using tools of anthropology to interrogate power structures in ways that can be useful to grassroots communities. We will also link to that Women of the Line episode in our show notes later today if you wanted to listen to the whole thing. Uh, and then you had a conversation with uh, me and Dr. Nero Kandasami about Sri Lanka, uh, the current situation over there, uh, the economic crisis, and also Tamil Genocide Day, which is happening tomorrow. I then spoke with uh, mechanical engineer Shreyasi Mukherjee about having more women in STEM and how that can make dif- uh, make a difference to policy um, and practice in lots of different fields. Yeah, that was a great conversation. Um, and just to round out the episode, we heard from Emma Shannon, who spoke about Ida Hobbit, which is today, and all the uh, exciting events that are happening in Sunbury, including a Raise the Flag ceremony and uh, some art exhibitions. Stay tuned to 3CR. Join us for Tuesday Breakfast again next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.